Hey guys, uh, thanks for listening today. Uh, before we begin, just wanted to give a quick shout out and a huge thank you to the Vanguard here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, for having us here today um, and letting us conduct this interview. If you've not been here, you need to be here, and you need to try all the delicious food that they serve. They have wrestling. And they have wrestling. So by all means, uh, check them out. Thanks again to the Vanguard. So, Thanks, Jim. I meant you are supposed to say, let's start the show. Let's start the show. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular... Names from all over the country. Former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagne, Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkle, this is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you by our good friends at All the Gimmicks. Not iTunes anymore. iTunes, I don't think, exists. Um, they're actually stopping Apple, or the Apple stopping doing iTunes. So, wherever good podcasts are heard, uh, I'm an your co-host, Jay Gilkay, and I'm sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from the Marman to Taya Valkyrie. I, we may have said her before, but I can't remember. A wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and who recently spent a very relaxing weekend camping. With 20 years of experience, he is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking of the one, the only, the great... Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Hello, Derek. Hello. Good morning as we sit out here in the great outdoors. For yes. Our first, uh, this is great. Our first live event. First live event. <laughs> <laughs> historic outdoor episode. Um, thank you for that great introduction, but I do want to quickly throw it to our guest, a man who I've always considered the wrestling tree in the Milwaukee area grows from this this seed that we have sitting here absolutely uh the very very controversial mr tom stone tom rocky stone how are you sir? don't know how controversial but i'm good happy to be here good well we're glad to have you uh we started discussing this before uh can we go into how you broke into the business because for years i thought that you had gone to central states and were trained by ronnie etchison down there who had cranked out like uh art crews and and other talents as that but apparently you started locally here in milwaukee i started locally i met a guy at uwm when i was going to college uh who knew a guy who ran shows at federation hall and he got us a tryout fed hall on 13th and lincoln 13th and lincoln okay i got a tryout there and by the second show i was booking the promotion and <laughs> uh, okay i had taken over and I also had met Frank Hill, who later became Jules, Jules Strongbow. Strongbow. Yeah. He was a driver at the electric company. Okay. On and I met him. I was a security guard during my college days over on 35th and Wells. And um, wasn't your father? My uh, father was also the ring announcer there. for Vern Gagne in Milwaukee, Rockford, and Green Bay. Hi, Tom. I'm Jay. I'm the co-host, and I'm going to ask the stupid questions today. Okay. Just so you know. What did you go to college for? 
pool? Like billiards or swimming? Billiards and pool. Very nice. I mean, I, <laughs> I never graduated. Uh, That's awesome. Very cool. And so someone was just, were they flyering for a show at UWM that you found it out was about it? It wasn't even a show. They had some ropes just kind of put out. It was, yeah. a, it was a fake okay. wrestling show. Uh, and aren't, But through that, I ended up wrestling. And one day Frank Hill said, uh, we need you to go to St. Louis for TV taping. And how old were you at this time? It was probably 20, wait, wait! You're 24. jumping ahead a little bit here. You got called for a TV taping after just breaking in. Yeah, I've been working for Fed Hall maybe for six months. But where, but did, I, where did you bump around? Where did you learn how to? Frank Hill uh, and a couple other guys. We went down to boxing, the place where Al Moreland ran his boxing, and we we actually worked out in the boxing ring. I think it, it's on it, 35th and Highland or okay. 18th and I don't remember, but. Al Moreland used to run boxing, and we'd go there, Dick Reynolds and I and Frank Hill, and we would train there. So that's where... Uh, Dick Reynolds became the teacher out in Waukesha? He was the teacher who yeah. also was working. He'd work full-time during the summer down south, and he'd work, do jobs for Vern during the year. Phenomenal. So it couldn't... Was it, was it that easy? You make it sound like it was... No, I, no, you no, hear no. how guarded everything is. So. Well, okay, so I went to St. Louis for that first TV taping, and they put me against Gary Young and Dan Diamond in the first tag okay. team match. They would not let me grab a hold. They walked away from every hold I gave them. Really? They slammed me or backdropped me at least 20 times in a TV match. Oh, geez. And if you've ever been slammed on the St. Louis chase ring... This concrete is softer. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, I, I've heard that. It was that's one the of the hardest thing. rings ever. I was so sore when I came out of that ring. Yeah. And then Pat O'Connor said, uh, Stone, you've got Brody on the next tape. And I went up to uh, Bruiser Brody, introduced myself, and he said, Kid, if I can't thank you after, let me thank you now. I just got the crap beat out of me. Yeah. By two little guys. There's, you know, Derek's size, my size. Thanks. And then Bruiser <laughs> Brody, who at the time, this was before his gallbladder surgery, yeah. he had like a 60-inch chest, and it went down to this 32-inch waist. He was huge. Wow. And over the years, I became good friends with Frank. Uh-huh. Uh, but they tried to make me quit. I mean, that was... Sure. So he tried but, to make you quit too? No, Frank did not. Frank did not. But the other guys, the other were, two they, guys, they, tried. They, they but it wasn't it. until that level that they tried to discourage you. Like there was nothing local. You never got the local or guys beat up. never tried to discourage me. Okay, okay. Why do you think that was? I mean, do you because think- I was already booking the shows and stuff. I mean, <laughs> I pretty much <laughs> took over right away. You're right. Uh, so how does that happen, funny. though? Like, the, I mean, even that part, like the. Well, so- don't forget, I've been hanging around. From the time I was in high school with my dad doing oh, the, sure. okay. the show. So I had a good idea. Okay. I was already friends with Nick. Yeah. Uh, and so... So they knew you. They knew you as right. the... They it's not knew like you were just some, some greenhorn coming in. Nobody knew. And no, the first time over. I worked for Vern, in fact, the first guy I wrestled, we wrestled Greg and Vern. They were the only time they were ever a tag team on TV. Oh, okay. wow. And myself and Herman Schaefer wrestled them. Mike Scarbelli? Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's very cool. But that day, Wally Carbo told me, he says, don't tell Vern who your dad is. 
because they didn't want to smarten up my dad, which was really dumb because he was already. You're right, right. I mean, if you're around the so, business, so at you're the smart. upper levels, they still it was still very controlled. It like was that. still okay, and I believe it was a better business, better product then, because even though the fans, sixty percent of them thought it was would tell you it was a work, right? Sure. Or 80% would probably tell you it was a work. Right. 20% believed it. But that 60% in the middle, they weren't sure when they went there. Right. Okay. So it yeah. was, Well, it meant more. Today they all know it's a TV show. It's a, right. Right, right. It's right. a soap right. opera. It's a different, it's a different it's a, deal. It's not the same business it was well, 20 yesterday, years ago. Well, yesterday, true. You know, this is Crusher Fest weekend here in, in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. And yesterday, while they were giving their um, speeches, uh, the Baron gave his little presentation before the the statue was unveiled and there was a fella standing in front of me probably about 70 75 years old uh he had on his crusher t-shirt and uh the baron says and then uh you know the mad dog was doing something or other and that uh and i knew that the crusher and him didn't get along and the guy in front of me goes, yeah, there was no, there was no love lost between those two. He was really serious That's about great. it. That's great. And I thought that was super cool. Like that just, he was, was very, he was fully vested even yesterday. But wasn't the that the, the cage match in Milwaukee where the old lady climbed the cage? I don't remember oh, that. Oh, okay. That yeah. I don't remember. No, there's a story about that where some, the, like a cage match in Milwaukee. Well, and conversely, I just want to say, yesterday I was talking to some people that listened to the podcast and they said, what, what were some of the topics we had coming up? And I said, you were coming on today. And uh, this guy goes, oh, my God, Tom Stone, I can remember back in the 80s going with my family to the Denny's by the airport and seeing him eating. And I kept telling my dad, that's Tom Stone. That's Tom Stone. And my dad wouldn't let me come over and say anything to him or you know, just kind of carrying on a little bit about it. It was pretty cool that just somebody was able like just like that able to recall a story about you and i said do you have any questions or anything you want to say and he said i just hope you had a really good meal that day <laughs> that okay i don't think you can have a good deal I don't, yeah, I, just I, wait i, I want to jump forward Denny's and then jump not a sponsor. back uh one of the stories i heard about you from your trainees was when you were on the road driving and you stopped to eat was when tom stone was done was when you were leaving like, you couldn't dawdle. Like, once Stone was done, his fork was down, his bill was paid, he was in the car, and it was going. Pretty much. True? Okay. Pretty much. Thank you. I've got another few we, nuggets We never left anyone. Okay. We drove off a couple of times, and we always came back Good. and got them. Nice. All right. All right. That's cool. All That's right. pretty awesome. Okay. So, jumping back, you went to St. Louis for TV tapings first before you went to Vern. Right. Now, when you would go up there for your TV tapings, what was that process? Like... Did did you dress in the same room as the stars? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody mixed together? St. Louis was one giant conference room. Okay. So we were all around a table, and Pat would come in and say, make sure you don't steal anyone's finishes, and, you know, make okay. sure you drink all the beer before you leave, and all the towels are in the corner so we don't lose the building. And, so, your uh, first, uh, so your first time in St. Louis was at the Chase? Yes. Very cool. Wow. Uh, you said Pat O'Connor had a peculiar style of working. You said he'd grab a hold. Uh, yeah, and... I worked him a couple times, and he was—he'd have you grab a hold, and he'd try to suplex you out of it. But he always wanted you to hold on to the hold, and it was—you could spend twenty minutes in a front face lock with him, and you'd take twelve suplexes, but you'd always end up 
with the front face lock on him. See, now this makes me angry because I want to see that footage so bad. It was a completely different style. Arg. <laughs> but there were other guys who had different styles too. Curse like when, you, when Saido came tapes. here. When yes. Saido came here, I worked him his first night in Minneapolis. Oh, that and must after have been the great. match, Vern came to me and he says, "Do you think I can use him? Because his style was so different at the time." Yeah, yeah, he came. He came I think like he eventually melded into the American style as he was here. Right, right. But that first night, it was a real different match. Cool. Okay. Let me, can we just pause for one second? And just for the audience that is listening at home, if you hear horns honking or you hear things, I just want to remind you again, as there horns honking right now, uh, we're sitting outside at the Vanguard here in uh, Bayview, Wisconsin. They, uh, Jim Hollywood and the people at the Vanguard have been very kind to let us sit outside here and uh, conduct this interview. So, again, if anyone, if you hear any uh, stray noises, birds chirping, um, horns honking, cars driving by, air conditioners and the like, that's because uh, we are here at the Vanguard conducting our very first live interview, right? Yes. All right. Sorry. Back to the action. Okay. I don't know. Sorry. So, okay, you, you drive up to drive up to Minneapolis for TV tapings. Who got the call? Were you always the contact? Or? Not originally. Frank Hill was. Okay. And then Frank went full time, and then yeah, I, And then he I went to New York over. and came back. No, he stuff. went to Kansas. He started in Kansas City. Okay. Because he was still in Kansas City when I went to Kansas City full time. Okay. And then at that point, Jake took over while I was gone. Jake. Milliman. Jake, Jake the Milkman Milliman. Okay. Car starting up. Yes, Ooh. I know. Nice. It's all good. As we're revving up here on our episode. <laughs> okay, so you'd go there. There's a big conference room. Uh, how did you get paired up with guys? How did you... Who who administered the TV Pat. tapings? Pat O'Connor. Oh, Pat O'Connor was at St. Louis. Yeah. Okay. Minneapolis, it was Greg at that point. Okay. And he just go around... But it could have been Vern was there, too. I mean... Okay, so it was very informal. Like, you didn't get pulled into an office. It was just... No, very informal. Okay. And when you end up going to New York later on, they would have a big whiteboard... And have all the matches, so you just look at it and see who you were working. Okay. Uh, there was a story about you not wanting to work the Road Warriors. I refused, yes. When I heard they were coming in to work for Vern, uh, I had heard that when they were in Atlanta, Atlanta told them to beat the crap out of the job guys. And <laughs> They were in Atlanta before AWA? Yeah, yes. yeah, only put them together. Okay, sorry. And so when they came up here, I just called Greg and said, I'm not working them. I got a job on Monday. I'm not. Uh, Were a lot of people scared? I mean, was there kind of frightened knowing the the track record of them just beating the crap out of I don't think guys? a lot of guys knew, and a lot of people didn't have any pull. I had pull. Sure. And I sure. said, I'm not going to work with them. Yeah. Uh, and they were okay with that? They weren't. <laughs> <laughs> After the show, Hawk came up to me and said, you know, who are who do you think you are? Yeah. Saying you won't work with us. And I just told him, I said, I'm a guy who has a job, and right. I have to go to work on Monday, and I'm not getting hurt. Right. Where'd you work at the time? I was with the gas company in Waukesha. Okay, gotcha. Which is why I ended up not pursuing my career as it went along. I actually had a chance to go to Portland, and uh, but at that point I got a job right. with benefits and uh, well, smart. Right union, on. and so no, I figured no, part-time no... was great for me. Yes, but you did go to Louisiana later. You went down this for... Is, this was before I got the job. I went to Kansas City first. Okay. 
Uh, in fact, in between me starting locally, I also went to Lou Klein's wrestling school, Red Bastine's half brother. Oh, out in uh, the in Detroit area. Detroit. Okay. I stayed there for about a month. They mm-hmm. were never there, though. They were always on the road. So it was like I lived in this gym by myself for, you know, and they'd come in for a day and they'd train you. And so after about so a month. So what was that? Was the ring set up? It was on the floor. All the was, time? Okay. Yeah. Did they have any other people there to train? Not uh, at the time no, I wasn't. was there. <laughs> Just you. So, yeah. I mean, there were guys who'd come in. So on Tuesday, you'd work out, you'd train a little, and then they'd go back on the road, and I wouldn't see him for a week. So I got trained about three times. He taught me a headlock for $800. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so then anyways. I know places you can do that today. Then right, I, right. Then I, you know, I had also been doing TV for Kansas City. Uh, we've been, I've been booking guides for there. Okay. And I called them up and said, you know, I'd like to go full time. Sure. And they said, yeah, come on down. We'd okay. love to have you. The territory was so bad, they would take anyone. Airplane. Airplane. <laughs> you know, they would take anyone at the time. Sure. Uh, we didn't have much of a crew. Uh, we had a couple guys who ended up being halfway decent. Kyle, can you do Bruce, something about that? Yeah, Kyle, can you get rid of that airplane for us, please? Bruce Reed came in, who later worked for WWF. Yeah. As the natural. Uh, but on top was Bob Sweetan, who had the book. And then... Uh, what was your dealings like with Bob Sweetan? Because yes. I hear he's... He was a jerk. Yeah, right. Seems to be I consensus. actually got along with him okay. Sure. Uh, but him and Frank Hill were on top when I was there. Mm-hmm. And then... But we were drawing nothing. I mean, we had... Days and there, you'd drive all the way to Wichita for forty dollars, and you'd look and you'd say, "If someone told you there was an envelope with forty dollars, you wouldn't drive to Wichita." Right, right. Well, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, for sure. Heard that story. Yes, that's that's great. But he never was never bad to you, or didn't do anything. Not, not nah. So much, eh? uh, the only one who ever, Kyle, and I wouldn't even call it doing it bad. One night, Pat O'Connor had me in the dressing room, and. He had me on the floor in the back screaming uncle uh-huh. because I had done an interview during the day saying, you know, I'm wrestling you, old man, and they're going to wheel you out in your wheelchair, and I'm going to have to destroy a legend. And he hadn't been there at the TV, but someone told him about oh, it. Oh, Jesus. And so that night he wanted to show me that uh-huh. even as an old man, he can still kick my ass. So what does he do? Does he bring you in like, hey, I want to sh- come on in. Let's talk about yeah, something. Basically, and yeah, basically, yeah. I got this move. I've been basically, and, then and he in, had right? me on the ground, and and now <laughs> wherever did everybody else watch or? I don't think anyone else was near it. Oh, okay. I think we were like just... on the stage of oh, the right building. On. Right on. But, That's funny. Uh, uh, just as a frame of reference, now you're like six three at this time. Like how how big of a person? I'm six one. You're, you're six one when when you're wrestling. Yeah, I probably was at that point two thirty, two twenty five, two twenty. Okay, now how big are you in relation to everybody else? Are you a bigger guy? Are you a normal guy? Normal. Okay. Normal. Okay. Yeah, I was curious about that as well, just for that that time period for that frame of reference. Because that's one thing I'm often surprised when I look back when I watch your work is that you seem to be a, a taller guy. Yeah, only six one though. Okay, fair enough. How tall are you? Uh, I'm actually under six foot. Yeah. So same here. Kyle, how tall are you? Five foot. Nice. Oh, Kyle. Anyway, but that's uh, worst. But that's like median size for like a wrestler now. Really? 
Yeah, I mean the the frame has shrunk considerably. So, anyways, I spent five yes. months. Sorry. In Can- <laughs> Sorry. I spent Let's five months in talk. Kansas City. Five months in Kansas City, and then they made, fired. Made they fired Bob Sweetan. Made a total and of eight hundred dollars. Jody Hamilton. Uh, no, we, used to, we used to make good money in St. Louis, so you'd make your you could make a whole week's pay just working St. Louis. Okay, so and, that, that and was like always, your grocery town, and then us. everything else was just to keep you busy. You know, I mean, well, you made money. Uh, okay. Des Moines was okay. Wichita was terrible. Okay. And Wichita was terrible because they had done a hair match. Loser guy loses his hair match uh-huh. in Wichita, and they let him escape so they could do it on TV in Kansas City. Ah, oh, that's and good. Ever that's since a, that day, that town never yeah, grew. Yeah, I was gonna they say that just, would kill a town. They instantly. burned the town. Huh, okay. So anyways, Jody Hamilton came in, and he wanted to bring in his own talent. So at that point, they booked me to go work for Bill Watts in Louisiana. Okay. Now there's a story about your first night in there. My first night in, I was working with Jerry Oates. I've never met the man to this day. Uh, We got in the ring. Uh, That's where I was given the finish by the referee. Put him over in 10. And uh, I found out a day later that Bill Watts, Grizzly Smith, and Buck Robley were all standing watching, and I was told by Jake Roberts, who was related to Grizzly, uh, Jake told me that if you had had a bad match, they were firing you that night. Oh, wow. So I had driven from Kansas City to Shreveport, and there was a chance, at least in their mind, that they were sending me home after that night. So did they, how did you, how did you get there in the sense of like, did they, were they looking for guys or? Uh, Jody Hamilton booked me there. Just did that. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I went and then Sweet Town went at the same time. So I got stuck with Bob again. And there's no, there's no saying no in a situation like that. Jody Hamilton says you're going to Louisiana. Uh, I could have said no. I could have gone home. Oh, and gone home. But at that point I didn't want it. Well, I didn't have. A lot of contacts, right? right? I had right. Vern and I had Kansas City and St. Louis. So sure. I, at this point, I had no contacts. So I couldn't just make a phone call and say, gotcha. Right. So it, you can use your discretion on this question if you wish. But how did, how did your money work at that point? Were you paid in cash or paid weekly? And then at the end of the year, were you just 1099? Yes, you were 1099. Uh, all the promotions paid weekly. Okay. A lot of the guys took draws every night. Sure. Which the promotion loved because sure. they loved a guy who was broke and couldn't leave, especially right. in a bad territory. I never. Jay, wa- why don't you leave the room for this part? I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I don't never want you to once hear took a draw. I never once took a draw in any town. So I would just get a check every Thursday or Wednesday or whatever. With uh-huh. Vern, I would just get a check every time I worked for Vern. So they weren't leery of you taking the, uh, uh, doing your check. Like they, were they, because like you said, if they had guys that they knew that were taking the draw and they kind of had them by the purse strings, um, someone like yourself, they weren't uh, leery about you because your ability to actually take a check, were they? Do you get what I'm, like, I mean, like, because they, they didn't necessarily have that rope around your neck, so to speak, as they would some of the guys that they knew needed the money. It didn't matter. Didn't matter. Okay. Right on. I mean, when I went to Louisiana, they were pretty good to me because uh, they were working seven nights a week, and we had a hell of a territory with Junkyard Dog and DiBiase and Paul Orndorff and Wrestling Two, and I mean, we had a really good crew. We were we were drawing money, so it was 
a fun place to work. And they took care of me, even though most of the underneath guys were working two or three nights a week. Okay. I would wrestle three or four nights a week, and I'd referee the other three nights. Oh, wow. So okay. I knew that if there was a big show in New Orleans, I was on it. Sure. So they took care of me. Buck Robley liked me. I carried finishes for him. I never, and I'd get to give them out in the town, you know, in the spot shows. And uh, That's cool. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I had heard you were, you booked the underneath talent. I booked a not no. Oh, not you there. you didn't pull anybody in. Oh, okay. No, I got Chris Curtis a job down there. Okay. And he came in and worked for four or five months. Okay. For Bill, but I, no, I carried finishes sometimes. I did have fun with uh, the Freebirds one night. We were in an all-black town in Mississippi, and I gave them the finish. They were working with Dog and King Cobra. Oh, geez. And I told them that. Cobra and them were going to get juice, and I laid out the finish just the way Buck would have laid it out, you know, with Zabada this, and then Buckle, and then Dog will get color, and they picked up their bags and they were leaving because they never would have, they never would have got out of the town alive if we had done the finish I gave them. That's funny. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, we had the Freebirds too, so I mean, we had, we had a really Bill had a great territory at the time. Right, right. And how was Bill Watts and them to work with? Bill treated me great. In fact, he told okay. me when I left that you just give me a call. You ever want to come back? You always got a job here. That's good. Uh, he was a typical wrestling promoter. Uh, he once did a speech where he said, uh, you know, we're the only territory in the country making money, and <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to raise the minimums from – 50, I think 50 bucks was the minimum pay any town, and we're going to raise that to 60 for everybody. Okay. And you usually had two towns a week that were minimum pays. Right. Yeah. And mysteriously, when that happened, New Orleans went down $25 a night. <laughs> so we were making $5 less on our paychecks than we had been making before he raised the minimum. So I never did figure out how that worked, but Brilliant. Bill was a typical that's, that's wrestling pretty great. promoter. Brilliant. That's pretty great. And then how long were you there for? I was there about nine months. And what what caused you to leave? It was summertime. I called Wally and I said, Wally, if I come back, can I can I get some you know work full time? Sure. And he said, Sure. Okay. So I, I packed up my bags up. and came back. And when I got here, I called Wally and he said, Oh, we're all full. <laughs> so I went and got a job yes. selling cars, and I basically quit the business. Yeah. For about six months. What when was this like year wise? Just to put it into perspective. Eighty one maybe eighty. Okay. Okay. I was on the road in 79 and 80 full-time. Could you have so, asked Watts to come back? Or sure. Was, you could have said, like, the, after the, with the Wally Carbo and sure. you could have been like, hey, But I, I came back? back. I already moved all my stuff, stuff back right. here. And I had Portland scheduled for the fall. Yeah. And uh, when Wally did that to me, I just quit the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, then I got in with are? the electric company. And then Jake, who was Jake Milliman, yeah. who was booking, called me. And said, I need you on this TV taping. And so this is probably eight months. And he knew at that point I was going to get his spot. Uh huh. So Jake actually pulled me back into the business. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Well, right. it was fine because I made a lot of money. <laughs> that's awesome. Who trained Jake? How did he break into I trained Jake. Oh, okay. So you trained him and then you I became, trained Jake, okay. yeah. And so. And I'm sorry to go back so far. So what year did you actually break in, would you say? What was the actual year? Locally? Probably. At, at, at all. 77, 78. Okay, gotcha. 
Oh, wow. So everything happened Well, I was still in UWM, so 72, 70, yeah, around 76. Okay, around 76. And so in 79, it's when I went out on the road. Okay. Wow, so three years. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. And where was, uh, when did your dad stop doing the announcing? Well, he was still announcing when I was working, okay. so I couldn't tell you. He was probably there until Vern closed, until oh, Dennis really? left. Okay. okay. Wow. I would... And was that so, <coughs> excuse me, so your father had a, probably had a, a regular job as well. He wasn't just He announcer. was a radio announcer in town, and then okay. later he sold cars. Okay, gotcha. Okay. okay. That's cool. All right, so you've come back to Milwaukee. You've soured on the business. Jake pulls you back in. When do you start, when do you start, and what's the process that makes you decide to open wrestling training camps? Like, is that something you had done the whole time? Or, because I've seen. Going back to the years I couldn't tell you first year, we did that all the time because Dick Reynolds was still in it when we had our first wrestling camp. Okay. So I was already training guys before I went to Kansas City. When I came back from working on the road for a year and a half, I was much more knowledgeable. Okay. Because I would sit in cars with guys like Stephen Little Bear and we would talk wrestling. You know, all the way there and all the way back. Right. Sure. Fortunately, now people are on their phones. <laughs> no, I'm you saying can't it, it's learn something, anything yeah, that I'm saying way. It's right. something that. But we would changed. discuss, which is where I learned what I told you about at the end of a match, not to just leave your guy lay in the ring, get the baby face standing back up in the middle of the ring. Right. And get yourself on the floor, getting heat. You know, saying screw the fans, and it. <laughs> So when it all ends, whoever won didn't really matter. They still hate the bad guy, and they want the good guy to get his revenge one way or the other. So, and I learned that from Stephen Little Bear. Okay. Uh, and then I learned from, I uh, can't think of his name now. Give me a prompt. Uh, you know, I, he had like <laughs> a Garza. French name. Uh, Rene Goulet. No, down in Louisiana. Oh, uh, Frenchie Martin. Frenchie Martin is the one who told me, when you're in the ring, your whole job is to get a crowd reaction. Sure. So if I take Derek to the ropes and I hit Derek and the crowd sits on their hands, okay, now we're going to take Derek and I'm going to have him take me to the ropes. I'm going to have Derek hit me. And I'm going to see if the fans react to Derek hitting me. I'm going to find what the fans want. And give it to him. But the problem is you're working Derek, so that never happens. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to, <laughs> yeah. to bury him. But you know what there. I'm Just saying? Kidding. Our job was to get a reaction right. from the fans. I was at a show that Derek did a couple weeks ago. Okay. And a guy's in the ring, and he started to clap. Yeah. And the fans started to clap, and he stopped. Right. And I'm going, why would you stop? He said, well, my opponent had something he wanted to do. I said, oh. wait two minutes. <laughs> Let the fan. Right, You're right. doing. You were doing it for the fans. Today, the wrestlers don't do it for the fans. They do it for themselves. Yeah. Because they pre-plan everything they're going to do in the dressing room. And then they go out and do it. And you can sit there and people are got their hands under their butts. And right. there's no crowd reaction. But they're going to, damn it, I'm going to get in my 15 moves well, when I wrestled, I didn't want to get in 15 moves. I wanted to get in 15 minutes. Right. And I wanted to get in my 15 minutes the simplest way 
possible that got a fan reaction. So if I was wrestling Buck Zimoff, I would purposely wear these flowered trunks I had. They were lavender with flowers on them, and I'd wear a warm-up suit over them. So I'd get in the ring, and I'd start to take my warm-up suit down, and the people would start catcalling, and Buck would start clapping, and we could get eight, nine minutes without me ever getting my warm-ups off. But the people were enjoying it. Yeah. So we didn't have to take any bumps for eight or nine minutes. As a promoter, can I just say, one of the things I dislike and I, uh, so on opening uh, match on the card, we I tend to have guys that come out and they want to do the yay boo, the hey boo, you know, the the baby raises his hand and the crowd cheers and then the uh, heel does his thing and the crowd boos and they go back and forth. I, I have to be honest. I've never seen that. You've before. never seen that. Well, no. good. You'll never I mean, see I've it again seen one Hulk, of our shows. But I've seen Hulk hold his hand up to his ear and do that. But, but like, I like yours because I feel like it's an actual. It's a thing where I feel like the to me when I see them in, at our shows, they've done it, and I put a uh, strict do not do this anymore because I really don't like it. Yeah. Well, um, if I ever work for you, I'll be happy. Be sure to do it now. Oh yeah. No, but I'm saying. But, <laughs> well, but, the, but you'd have to climb the ropes. Yeah, exactly. I can do that. No. Okay. And so, but I, can get I on always the bottom felt, rope. Yeah. Right, right. right yeah, just the bottom <laughs> one's fine. But I always felt like I, to me, I was like, oh, this is just. I I get what you're saying. I think you can get good reaction out of it. But I don't like. It just seems so basic. Like we already know that this is the good guy. This is the bad guy. Do it once or twice, real quick. Have the ref jump in and do it, and then have him get a pop, and then that's funny, and then you that kind of ends the bit, and then move on with your thing. But I see the well, difference. I don't think you should do comedy until the third match on the show. So no, I yeah, I think you. Why have to is show that? Because I think you need to break it up. You do two regular matches. I think your opening match should be almost script. You know, almost the optimal storyline of a match. Uh huh. And after you've had two of those, then I think you have to do something to break up the rest of the card. So I think the third match should almost be a comedy match. I agree with okay. that. That's usually Which is why we yes, used to spend a lot yeah. of time watching the Three Stooges. We were looking for high spots. We actually watched <laughs> the Three it. Stooges when I was in Louisiana. That's fantastic. I, I mean, that's just the way it, when I booked the show, I would, tried to break it up. So the third match is the one where you do the Terry Funk comedy stuff where you get tied up in the ropes. And, right. You know, you uh-huh. just or you do a comedy spot. So you do midget spots. Right. The, I was thinking like an anthology. Pro- like you like you said, you're you deliver the goods at the beginning so you can. Well, you want to get a the first match should be a solid wrestling match. Right. So the people this is are buying right. wrestling. So you get two guys who can, you know, do a little bit on the mat and then do a couple of high spots. But it, it's you and don't want Canadian do, You don't want to do a comedy in the opener. I don't right. Think. Never. Right. I agree. I agree. Because you're selling you're selling the product at that point, and I think you need to really yeah. put that over. See, two different schools, but I think we have a very similar frame of thought. Sure, Jay. Whatever. You rush the intro on this show. Yes, I. Oh, hey, that's what I do. Um, so you come home. You're opening a wrestling camp. Oh, your gear. You say you you have these flowered trunks. Where did you get? Did K&H, you get your stuff from K and H? K and H wrestling wear. Okay. And I got my initial boots from them, and then after that, I found out about uh, A and B Boot Company, which was B-Bar Ash, and, and yeah. I ended up buying more, the rest of my boots from there. Now, didn't One you say, pair of which you own. Yes. Uh, the red boots. <laughs> yeah, my red no, the Russian boots. The, the, the Russian boots. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway. Um, 
Uh. So you said Bill Ash would travel from territory to territory and pass out his business card. I never got a business card from him. Oh, Someone okay. gave me his name and number. Okay. And I just ordered them. How did you find out about K&H? I don't remember. Oh, okay, but just somebody gave you the number? It wasn't yeah, I a... mean, don't forget, when I went to Federation Hall, there were guys who been re- they've been wrestling at Federation Hall for years, so someone there, and K&H used to advertise in the back of magazines, mm-hmm. too. Oh, did they? Yeah, at one point. Oh, okay. I'd never seen that. Um, what was turnaround, like, as far as getting your gear? A couple months? A week weeks? or two. week or two, really, so that yeah. quick. That's awesome. But they also had COD and stuff like that, too. Yeah, that's true. Um so you say guys had been wrestling at Fed Hall for years. So Milwaukee always had that underground, like, indie, like, that was allowed to propagate? Yeah, there were, like, uh, there was a Mexican contingent. Okay. Armando Rodriguez and Cesar Pavan. They'd been doing oh, sure. TV forever. And they had two guys who had no clue about the business at all. They were just... Just there? Okay. Well, they used to run carnivals. And so what they would do is put themselves... Okay. On the carnival, and they'd wrestle you, and then you'd wrestle Armando, and then Cesar would wrestle your guy, and then you'd come back in a tag. Well, they wanted to win all three matches. Of course. So what yeah. is the <laughs> right, point? Right, right. What is the point of going out? So one night I said, let's go 20-minute time limit in the first one. Then in the second one, I'll jump in and get us disqualified, and you come out and make the save and run us out, and then there's a reason to have a tag match. Yeah. And he bitched about that for five years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he just got into business, and he's telling us what to do. Yeah, because you don't know anything. Right. So currently there's, I've got to say, there's at least six to eight promotions running in the Milwaukee area. So back then it was obviously a lot less or were were goofs like dissuaded from running shows at all like how big did you have to get before Vern took notice of you Vern never bothered us okay but I at the time I was the only one running down here that I know of okay Randy Ritchie was running a little bit in Illinois and in Janesville was it Janesville that's Rock and Randy but that's still later on I was talking like in the the early 80s yeah. and such. Yeah. Okay. There was a kid in Green Bay who ran a little, Chris Bassett. The Cobra, yeah. Uh, was it hard to put stuff together as far as getting venues? I didn't do that. I had a guy who did it for me. Okay. Gotcha. I was never, I never wanted to do that. I said, if you want to book a show, just book it. I mean, I didn't want to get into promotion. Okay. I liked the booking end of it. Yeah. I didn't like the promotion. The business so end. we had a guy who would go to the carnivals and he would book girl uh, mud wrestling and he'd book truck shows and he'd book us and i'm sure he took most of our profits there was a movie well there was a movie on the other night from the 80s i don't remember what it was but it was they were showing a nightclub and there was mud wrestling going on in it and stripes no it wasn't it was like some kind of weird obscure movie from back in the day but uh that got me thinking at that point too i'm like god damn i missed that like that was cool back no it wasn't cool the i did it once you never want to do it well i'm talking about the sexy girls there's mud everywhere stop (laughs) the secret um i found out that mud has to be sifted if you just use mud out of the ground there's going to be gravel and chunks in it and people get all cut up (laughs) yeah i read that really yeah i wonder how long it took for them to realize that whatever it's all good. All right. Yes. So let's move on. <laughs> let's go back. To okay. So let's move on to you're back in Milwaukee and you're running camps. How did you 
Let's see. Now, again, I ask this question delicately. Did you run your camps to generate talent, or did you run your camps to generate income? Uh, the goal was to generate income, but if I found someone who was good, I never charged them. Right on. Because okay. they became my talent. I mean, we had some guys. We actually had a ton of guys who ended up doing it full-time for a while at least. Right. You know, we had the yeah. Texas Hangman. I trained them. Right. Uh, uh, who became disorderly conduct and, yeah. and everything in so, WCW. I mean... Uh, Bull Payne, uh, Frank Vizi. Right, who was part of the hangman at one point. Yeah, there's he been a the lot of He was the original hangman. He was? Uh, yeah, him and Mike were the original hangman. Yeah, I thought Mike was. But, okay. I, but I trained all of those guys, so we actually had a good enough crew that we could have, if we had lived in a smaller, where Vern wasn't sure. on top of us, we probably could have run our own promotion and made money. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's good I talent there. That. And then, how often would you run a camp, just when things got... Well, when I was younger, I used to go there every night. Uh, I'm sorry, I meant, like, how often would you get the bug to say, hey, let's, let's organize, another, organize another school or organize another wrestling I camp? I never did that. Oh, okay. Never did that. It was really a camp for all our local guys, and if someone new wanted to come in, we'd take them in. Okay. I'd charge them something and tell them they had to pay me over time, and... Over time, ended up being never getting paid. Right, right, right. But if they were no good, I didn't want them anyways. I mean, if they were terrible, I'd get make sure they paid me all their money. Sure, sure. But if that they were going to be a Hangman, a VZ, a Mike Moran, one of those, Trevor, one of those guys, <laughs> just okay. come on down. Cause, right. Uh, well, because nothing's, uh, be- I like nothing's the, good pro- better promotion than having some good I like the business like better than... Trying to make a living off the business. Sure. At least from those guys' standpoints. I know Mike says today, I'm one of the few guys who trained people and never took a dime of what they made. Right. I didn't believe in it. I figure if you're going to oh, prostitute like, your body, you shouldn't be paying me for that. Oh, like the, the Vern contract where you wanted 10% over yeah, 10 years or something like that? Yeah, a lot of guys take that. 10 or 20%. I hear that all the time. And okay. that never happened to you? I never took, no. Because I was never. I was never trained by anyone. Okay, gotcha. I literally trained myself other than that three weeks with Lou Klein. That's and amazing. And learning a headlock. Yeah. That's wild. But when I'd go to Kansas City, even for a Saturday taping, I'd sit and talk to guys and try to learn the business. Sure, sure. When I met Nick and Ray and those guys would, I'd sit in the dressing room in Minneapolis and they'd show me stuff that today everyone still does wrong. Mm-hmm. They take an arm drag wrong. Everyone who trains an arm drag trains it wrong. I, I agree. At some point, it changed from the posting on the back of the neck to the dosi do arm, and I don't know when that became correct. But it just it did. just did. I it mean, just did. but the business changed. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. and how guarded were you when you were training then? As far as when guys would come in, were you pretty? I mean the. If someone new comes into your camp... Okay, I'll, I'll give you just this. Uh, do you know who Trevor is? Yes, absolutely. Okay, Trevor Adonis came in with his brother. We broke his brother's collarbone. Oh, wow. His brother never came back. Trevor did. Right, and there you go. So I guess that's... On purpose? Let's just say we were a little rough. Okay, okay. We wanted them to quit just like they wanted me to quit in Kansas City. Right on. Or St. Louis. We didn't want, because the worst thing you can do in the business, and I'll take blame, 
is to have guys like Woody. You know, we had uh, guys who didn't belong okay. in the business. And that's the worst thing you can do. Sure. Is have guys like your partner on that show that I was talking that I came and saw your show a couple weeks ago. That guy has no right. <laughs> I don't remember. The birthday boy. Uh, uh, he yeah. has no right. He's, uh, he's not in business anymore. Well, he shouldn't have been, ever. Yeah. He should never have been put on a show. I'm sorry. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yes. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to turn this into how modern wrestling stinks. I want to go back to, so you're training guys and you're taking them to TV tapings. Yes. So another story I had heard is on the trip up to Winnipeg, either nobody could sleep or nobody could sleep if you couldn't sleep. No, that isn't the rule. The rule in our car was the person sitting next to the driver right. had to stay awake. Okay. And if either the driver or the guy next to you started to fall asleep, you'd chop them as hard as you could. Okay. And it, it was to, pers- to make sure we didn't drive off the road and kill right. each other. Oh, that sure. makes sense. It's like one night coming back from St. Louis, I was in the back seat and Curtis fell asleep. Chris uh-huh. Curtis. Yep. Who has a book out there, by the way. Job Man. That's uh, the one we were talking about earlier. Yeah, so anyways, funny. he fell asleep. And I waffled him as hard as I could with a chop in the back seat. And he woke up looking for the wheel. Oh, it was the funniest that's, thing. That's I did it just as we were turning off on the Mitchell. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> he felt like we were going off the road. And I chopped him as hard as I could chop him. That's funny. But that actually started. Bob Brown used to do that in Kansas City. I mean, you could be sure. riding next to him and all of a sudden he'd waffle you. Okay. Uh, well, that makes sense. I mean, But it was really more of a... If I fall, if I'm sleeping next to him and then he falls asleep, we're dead. Right, right, right. So Understood. that was we never worried about if they were sleeping in the back. It okay. was the front. Well, I wasn't sure about the rule because I had heard was, it, I had heard it expressed. That both was ways. the rule. Where was the worst driving for you? What was the worst? I always said, wasn't it? Uh, I always heard Louisiana was really bad, wasn't it? Like no, we. Drives? I started there just after Watts broke off, so we only had Louisiana and Shreveport. Okay, so it wasn't. That so bad. it was 180, 60, 60. Local 180 and wasn't the, that bad. No, but you did you have any real long hauls that you hated when you worked any particular areas like central states? No, those are all shorter towns, really. Too. Okay, well, Wichita was 180, Des Moines was 180. Yeah, that's not bad. St. Louis might have been the worst, might have been 240. I don't, I had to drive St. Louis like three weeks but, ago and it was terrible. But St. Louis was the biggest payday, so you didn't mind the drive, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. right, you know. Uh, Wichita was a terrible one, but... Let's see, what other things? Um, TV tapings in Minneapolis. I always heard the guys got their cash check at a liquor store close by. Check cashed, sorry. Said yes. that backwards. I don't remember that. Oh, you, you weren't part of that? Okay. I mean, they may have. We may have even stopped for them. I don't remember ever cashing my check. Okay. And how often would you go and do TV? Well, there were times when we'd be doing... I'd do Vern every other week or every third week because we were only doing... Vern was running every week for a while. Yeah. And then i go to Kansas City, and in between i do Kansas City, and then there might be a Sunday. You'd hope Kansas City and St. Louis met so you could just do a loop. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Vince, when he started going full-time, started calling me for TV there. And so how does Vince find out about you? Terry, and- Terry... Well, Terry Garvin was his the guy in charge of the getting the tv talent sure i knew terry because he had been in the office in kansas city okay states yes yeah 
you know, uh, and then Pat Patterson was number two. Well, I knew Pat from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Oh, okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell a Pat Patterson story because it's a good one. Okay. We were in front of a big closed circuit show up, up in Mini. We had the, the big arena, and then they had closed circuit next door, and I got to work with Pat Patterson. Okay. And uh, Pat, uh, who was gay, yep. he, he wrote a book, so I'm not telling a story. Still is. Right, 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 right. He uh, got me in the ring to start the match, and the ref's giving us instructions, and he looked at me and he said, Kid, just remember, if I get behind you, you're fucked. <laughs> and then, there you go. And then That's as I'm great. starting to make my comeback, because he was the heel, uh, he looked at me while he was on his knees begging anyone, kiss me on the lips, Mary, kiss oh, me on that's the lips. Awesome. That's and funny. you got to keep a straight face. Right, right. Uh, you know, so I heard all the rumors, though, about Pat and Terry in right. New York. I never saw it when I was in New York, so uh-huh. I think most of it is bullshit. Sure. That's fair. Okay. But you was know, it was it pretty much public knowledge that yes. Pat was gay? Everyone yes. Knew. It wasn't yes. like uh, they would walk around the dressing room and they'd have this big dildo and they'd be making jokes about it. Yes. Okay. Everyone knew they were, but I never I never saw them approach anybody. Right, sure. right, right. right. Oh, and when sure. I was in Kansas City with Terry Garvin, I was twenty eight years old or twenty six years old. I mean, I would have been the perfect You were kinda out of their demo, weren't you? Not at that time. Oh, I would okay. have been there perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And okay. I never, they Nothing. never, I mean, there were a lot of wrestlers who were of right. that persuasion. Right, right. And sure. it never mattered. Right. Well, wrestling used to be, I mean, because it was so hidden, it was almost similar to the carnivals where people that were uncomfortable like that found uh, an environment that they could be more comfortable like, I mean, because wrestling, you always had, you know, there were gays, there were people hiding from the law, there were carnies. A lot of guys had side hustles going on. Yeah, it I was. Mean, a, I mean, I'm not asking you to out It anybody, was a business where it was a strange business at times. So. Still is. Say when you're, well, when you're going on the road full time in Kansas City, you knew people. But when you got down to Louisiana and didn't really know anybody. How long did it take for the locker room to like open up to you and accept you as right part away. of that culture? Right away. Oh, because you were once in- they know you can work, you're one of them. Okay. Sure. You know, it's the same thing when you see guys who get the crap beat out of them on TV. As long as they know you can work, their their livelihood is dependent on them not getting hurt. Right. right. So right. if I'm wrestling Nick Bockwinkle, he's got to know that he's not going to get hurt. If he thinks there's a chance of him getting hurt. He's got to chew you up. Right. right. That's his livelihood. And most guys had no insurance, no health insurance. So you had to... You had to, you had to protect yourself and protect each other. Yeah. Because that's how you made Well, Ray Stevens told me, and this is what I don't see at all today. Okay. Ray Stevens said, my body is a fine piece of bone china. Your body is a fine piece of ch- bone china. I'll give you mine. You give me yours, but when this match is over, you give it back to me in the same condition I gave it to you in. Right. And I don't see that today. I see guys jumping off skylights, and Uh, I I just see guys for $20 putting themselves in a hospital for life. For sure. Right. And I don't get it. But that was the first thing I was taught in the business take care of your well, that's opponent's the art, body. Right? I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's the art. And that's why those guys like Crusher and Nick, 
they could wrestle till they were 60. Right. Did, um, did, and I, not, uh, any, you against anybody, but did anyone ever have uh, a chip on their shoulder about you? Was there anybody that just didn't like you for some reason at all? Uh, related to that, another oh. question I would like clarified is how was the carload of talent paid when you did TV tapings? Did everybody get a check or did you get a sum to no, DB up? No, everyone got a check. Okay. You, uh, I okay. Mean, I feel like I've, everything I've ever heard about you is good. What was your question? My question was, did, did anyone ever Yeah, there was one guy who I had about you? who I didn't get along with. Okay. And you don't have to say their name if I you will. want to. Okay. He's you dead want to. anyways. Okay, fair enough. Van Vader. Really? He was, that was, this is when he was Leon White. Yeah, yeah. And I worked him in Las Vegas, and I came out of it with a bloody, bloody lip. And he really didn't know what the hell he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I got in his, I had to switch dressing rooms in Vegas. So I'm in his dressing room after this. Sure. And uh, I got right in his face. And I would probably not be sitting here today if Jerry Blackwell hadn't got between us. Really? Wow. But then going another step further, a week later, I'm booked in Eau Claire, I believe. And I'm against Vader. And Dennis Silgard comes in and says, the small plane is late. We need you guys to get about 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, the small plane, that's Ganya's yeah, personal? Ganya's yeah, yeah. plane okay. with most of the boys were on it. Right, right. So the only ones is here are me and Vader, and we got to get 40 minutes. This is a week after Las Vegas. Right. It actually went fine. I'm sure. And yeah, I yeah. ended up driving him to the airport. I mean, But that was one of the few times that I never really had a problem with anybody. Sure. Uh, I will say that on my first show, um, I was scared shitless, and you like stomped over to us in the locker room. This is in Germantown at the Fourth of July fest, and you look at me and go, "What are you working?" Meaning, like, what body part are you working? And I didn't understand the question. <laughs> uh, what are you working? Uh, I don't know what you mean, sir. Ah, Jesus Christ! <laughs> turns around and stomps away and went and did whatever. So that was my first in-person memory of you. Was that the first time we met? It yeah, wasn't that, on that show with Trevor? No, that was in 96. Oh, that was later. Yes. Okay. So what do you think in that situation, Derek? Are you well, just like, holy shit? Like, well, I just, I, I knew that was Tom Stone, and he's the one that trained everybody. I'm and, packing my bag. I'm out of <laughs> here. No, no, but I was just like, I hope he doesn't beat me up later, you know? <laughs> well, that was never a goal. My goal was always to have good matches. I, I was terrified. I understand, but I was terrified. Uh, I, like, I had been in, I had been training for like three months out at Morty's, and he's already putting me on a show, and I, I'm so conflicted because I'm like, this is nothing like anything I've ever written about, or I've ever read about wrestling training. Like, hey, can I just say that's uh, two months and two weeks longer than I had to prepare exactly. for working when that, Morty was training me? But weren't you like, this isn't how I've read it's supposed to go? Like, where are the grueling right. nights yes. crawling home? Where Like, why am I here? Yeah, right. I want to bring up a thing, though. You just oh, said, uh, no, this is... Well, okay. you asked me if I had any conflicts with anyone. Yes. I do want to end the Road Warriors story. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, probably five years later, I got to New York to a TV taping, and it had Stone against Legion of Doom, Legion of Doom. And I went up and found Joe right away, and I said, because I had, didn't have enough pull to get myself out of that match. <laughs> so I went to Joe and said, Joe, you got your chance today. And Joe looked at me and said, shit, you were smart not to work with me. I didn't know. We didn't know what the hell we were doing back then. <laughs> so things changed. It was good, though. That yeah. time it was good. Yes. Yeah, they were light as sin by that time. 
And how was uh, so? How was it working uh, for WWF? Good. That was. They treated me great. Yeah. Because they actually paid me for booking talent, so right. I was getting giant paychecks. Sure. Sure. You know, and uh, you'd fly out east for stuff, or just do stuff in the Midwest. We do stuff or? local. No, we flew out. Trevor and I flew to Frisco and Vegas and Reno and no, Midland, that, Texas. Okay, they flew us all everywhere. Over. That's that great. was all on the promotions ticket. They flew you. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's oh. great. Even when we did Vegas for Vern, that was they would send us plane tickets. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they had me go book them, and then they'd send me a check for the plane tickets. Okay. What was the, in your opinion, looking at um, back in the day, of course, I mean, we know the differences, but AWA, WWF, in that <clears throat> crossover period where Vince is doing a lot of the takeover, what would be, you know, put yourself back at that time, what was your biggest takeaway during that scenario or during that era? That Vern wasn't going to make it? You just realized it, right? I mean, it was Well, because much... by that time, all of his talent had left, uh-huh. and they were all working either in New York or in the New York office. Sure. And he was running with, you know. Was it like a fire sale there? I mean, was yeah, it, he, yeah. At the end, we were going to Vegas. He had no talent at all. Yeah. That's with Rocky Mountain Thunder and all that. Sure. I mean, it was band. just terrible at the end. There was nobody left. Now, what was the reaction like in the office at the AWA? Did they just portray everything was rosy, or did you get the idea they were feeling they, pressure? They knew. Okay. Sure. They knew. They were trying to hang on as long as they could hang on. Sure, sure, just using the formulas that they knew. But I think the problem with all of the old territories, not so much Bill Watts, but Kansas City, they all had their homegrown talent. Right. And they had all been wrestling for 20 years. Okay. Right, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, Nick Bockwinkel was in the AWA when I was 18. I met Nick for the first time. Okay. Well, he was 36 when I was 18. So now I'm 32 and I'm still there, but he's still on top and he's now, you know, 52. Right, right, right. right. They never replaced. You still had Crusher at 60, Mad Dog at 60. Yeah. As your top guys. Now, do you think that's just because those were the guys Vern knew? Yeah, but it was that same way Kansas City. Okay. Bob Brown was on top for 412 years. I've heard that, yes. And Bob (laughs) Brown was an underneath talent in most territories. I've heard that as well. Bob was a good guy. I love Bob. I stayed at his house, you know. Okay, this is going to take a strange turn, but I know you can comment on this. Chris Jericho in his book talked about how Bob Brown would always hang out naked in the locker room and hand out paydays in the nude. I what, never saw that. You never saw that. But was there ever a time like now Ky- this, Kyle? Kyle, can you turn the bells off, please? I thought they'd add a good ambiance. Oh, oh, yes, this yes. was probably after I left. Okay. Because he was not in the office when I was okay. there. Okay. But was there ever? Uh, Locker room seemed to be like guys would just hang out in the all together in the locker room. Did you ever, were you ever part of that culture or anything like that? Or was that before you? Okay. I don't, I don't maybe, know what you mean. All right. Now you sound like you're asking my kind of questions. Yeah. Uh, I'm, well, you do know when like, I listen to this podcast, 
and I listened to oh, you. Oh, here I go and get buried. You are actually one of the guys I would have tried to break his collarbone. But anyway, <laughs> we digress. I haven't yes. heard that. I've heard that many okay. times. That's well, right. no, Thank I just you. heard uh, like a lot of the old timers, guys would just hang out naked in the locker room. Like that's where it was their private little area there or whatever. But if you hadn't I seen I don't remember that, seeing that much. Okay. I mean, yeah, you got dressed. Yeah, you got you dressed. You took a shower. Like in, uh, like you know, you took Carolinas, a shower like weird. the one night Pat O'Connor came up to me and he was completely naked. Okay. And he asked me if he could f- find his toothbrush. Oh, no. And I'm thinking, what the hell are you talking about? And he turned around and walked away and he's got it stuck in his butt cheek. That's and and his toothbrush is wiggling as he walks away from me. That's fantastic. It That's was fantastic. funny. That is pretty good. <laughs> That's wild. The um... Now, Kansas City, I'll tell you another yeah. thing they used to do there. They used to go out hunting for feral cats on the way home from towns. So it would be midnight. For what purpose? And they, they were, because they said they killed the bird's eggs in the middle of the freeway. So they would actually pull off, and they would go be hunting in the middle of the freeway at 2 in the morning Just with the shotguns. With shotguns. And then one, the first time I was ever in the territory, my first night I was driving with Geigel and, and Bob, and they pulled into the median and got jumped out with their guns and car was coming from the other direction and they held their gun up at this guy and this guy's sliding down the highway <laughs> and i heard they actually went and shot cats off people's porches and the small towns that's horrible. i mean so <laughs> i mean i'm all for uh, the elimination of cats but uh when you were on the road full time did you ever have a gun i never did okay i've never owned a gun okay that's fair all right and uh why did you stay out of portland what happened did that just fall through that, no it was that was when i got Mad at Vern and Wally. Yeah. And just then I started working and I had health benefits and I said, I'm not going all the way to Portland just to make, you know, a little bit of money and come back. Sure. And, but I did actually, before I got in with the electric company, I was going to go back to Kansas City and they were going to use me as a manager and a worker like Heenan. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. And then I got hired by the electric company and I said, nah, I can't go, guys. The deal's there. Any regrets? Anything that you regret? You'd like a, an opportunity you didn't. Uh, I regret this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm not really. Uh, Thank you. The only real regret I have is that I didn't get serious enough about going to the gym. Sure. Because when I got into when I first started, you had Ray Stevens and Pat and, and Tommy Rich. And right. None right. of them were. And then all of a sudden, as I got into it. You ended up with Hulk yeah. and guys like that. And it was real hard to break in mm-hmm. and really get a push. Right. Unless you look like Orndorff or, right. you know. Sure. Right. right. And that was and, kind of across all that. No, that's not to say that if I hadn't gone back and done the manager thing that I wouldn't have got my push. But right. at that point, I didn't regret anything. Okay. Did you do the gym at all? Were you? Uh, yeah, I went to it a little. Yeah. You knew where it was. And then I knew where it was, and I okay. knew where the soda machines were. Right, uh, right. But, I mean, but if you're out on the road and you're working, it's like you're getting quite a bit of exercise that way. Too, no, but right? it's not just the – got to pump. you yeah. got to be willing to lift weights. And I belonged to a gym you, you in Kansas City, and I belonged to a gym down in Louisiana. And sure. we would go and – Okay. Well, that makes but sense. But I didn't take I, – I did actually – one of the guys gave me some steroids at the time. Yeah, and all it ended up doing was make me go from 220 to 250, and it was all fat. Wow! So they worked. They worked to put on weight. They yeah. didn't work to put on good weight. <laughs> if uh, that's the goal. So, in, in a question you're not going to be able to answer, how many 
how many sets of gear did you go through over the years? Like, like you had, I've seen you in I singlets, had, I've seen you in trunks, okay, I've seen had, you in long tights. I probably have four sets of boots over my career. Only four, okay. Yeah. Uh, Any, were they tights, all classic I probably, style? I probably had six or seven sets of tights, and I probably had... You had more than six or seven sets of tights. Uh, uh, maybe a couple more, not many more. We get done here, we but will then go I had warm ups. You know, I had different warm ups and stuff. Uh, yes, you had the warm up similar to well, it was the zip style, but it looked like it was a manufactured version. Like uh, Ken Patera had his uh, his entrance gear. Where, where did that, that get I made? I think that jacket you're talking about was one I actually. War to work and stuff. Oh, you're lying. I did the red, and, the red and black one. That was bought as a regular jacket, uh, summer spring jacket from Milwaukee weather. And then I started wearing it in the ring. That's pretty great. I hate this. But I think I oh, still wore on. it. I still wore it to work. Okay, that's fantastic. If that's the red and white, red and black one that but, you're talking but about. But didn't you have the long uh, workout gear with pants and such? Yeah, I had two. I had three different hand. sets of. Warm ups that were K and H warm ups. Okay, so K and H sold warm up. I had a blue one. I had a blue one. Okay. I had a black and red one. I had a purple and gold one, which I actually gave to Bob Brown because he wanted it. Okay. Uh, Because I have I have a set of the red, white, and blue. I showed it to you, and you verified it that you did own it. The red, white, and blue long tights with the stars. You know, very the very Jimmy Valiant stuff. The superstar at the back. Um, I think and I, then had that. You I had. I don't think I wore it a lot. Though. And then didn't you have another robe that you had made to resemble a Ray Stevens yes, robe? Yes, which I actually ended up giving to Mike when he went on the road. Yes, and isn't that? I believe that robe is on uh, an AWA taping. Kurt Henning is wearing it. I don't believe so. Oh uh, no, I. I don't Again, think I, I ever gave it, it to Kurt unless <laughs> Mike gave it to him. Unless he's wearing Ray Stevens' actual robe, because I thought I asked you about it, and you said that was a copy you had lent him, like he saw it and wanted to borrow it. If you don't, if, if that's true, I don't remember. Okay, fair enough. Oh. But I'm old, so I get to forget. <laughs> but it was a very good robe. So, but but you would order all of this stuff from K&H. You just send the measurements and say this is the, what I uh, want. That real that real nice robe was actually made by Herman Schaefer's wife. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was local. She had made him a robe out of an old curtain. It still had the pleats in it. That's incredible. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. In fact, he wore it one night in a show up in the Dakotas. Sure. And they were in a high school gym, and Adnan found a bat, a live bat. Oh, dear. And as Herman went to the ring, he put it under his coat. So as Herman walked to the ring, his coat in the back was flapping because his bat's trying to get out from underneath the coat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's great. That's pretty funny, actually. I like that. Uh, how much more time do we have left? Yeah. Okay. Our, what, should we, what do you think? Should we wrap it up for another time, maybe? Sure. Have you had an okay time? Yeah. Is there, anything, pretty is, good, is right? there anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah, anything else as we get close to wrapping things up here? Anything in a, you'd like to know? Other than no. modern wrestling is bad. Modern wrestling isn't bad. It's just different. It's, very it's, not, okay. it's not wrestling. Sure. You know what? Wrestling is telling stories and making them up as you go. It's not, okay, here's the product. Memorize 14 pages and go out and do it. That's not wrestling. Right, right. I don't know what it is. 
it's not wrestling. It's like I, th- I, I think the fans are more, are would be happier if they weren't sure it was a work. I agree with that. If there was some little, well, they still that still happens, but it comes in turn of how are they going to work this, and people are trying yeah. to outsmart the. Bookers. I'm just saying, I was one of the boys, and I could still watch Nick and and Billy Robinson work. Uh, uh, and there were times when I watched Nick and Billy work and go, are they mad at each other? Oh, sure. Okay. You know, because it still looked so freaking good. Right. Didn't you, you know, have a, a, a Robinson story? Yes. Like you said something yeah. to him as you were going We were in Rockford, ring. and this is at the end of Billy's career when Billy was actually a heel. Mm-hmm. And I was a babyface. And I walked up to Billy on my way out to the ring, and I said, Billy, i got to ask you a question. I said, how come when you were a, uh, babe, a baby face, you were such a jerk? I didn't use the word jerk, but sure, sure. I said, you were such a jerk. And I just turned and went to the ring. And Jake was with me, and he goes, why the hell did you do that? I said, I want to see what he'll do. So I got to the ring, and all I can say is, the Billy Robinson I wrestled that night made me look like the Billy Robinson from 10 years earlier. Really? He made me look like the world's greatest wrestler of all time. <laughs> uh, that's pretty Okay. That's and funny. Billy was super talented. The only problem I think Billy had is he gave too much every match. Okay. He never left anything for tomorrow. Oh, you wanted to do all of his moves? He did all of his good moves almost every night. Sure. Yes, I will agree with that, especially if you look at footage. You can see how he's got his six or seven moves of doom that he always does. And uh, right. could, could you know, still it's like a lot of the Ric Flair stuff. Rick was very much, he'd do the same things right. over and over. And it worked when he was the world champion because he would go work Kansas Traveling. City, right. and then he'd work Des Moines, and then he'd go to Charlotte. And so they didn't see it there every night. But most of the territories that I worked in, we were weekly territories. Right, right. So if you went to the same town and you gave them everything you had every night, how many weeks can you work Right, there? you had to save it. What, uh, did you prefer babyface or heel? Heel. Okay, always, right? Heel, but when I worked as a babyface, I would still work as a heel. Mm-hmm. Like one night I worked with Bobby Heenan, and I was pulling his hair and his trunks. I would just do it the other way. I'd take him down by the trunks, and when the ref would ask me, I'd say, ask the fans. And the fans would go, no, he didn't pull trunks, so. Dastardly fans. Brilliant. I know. That Brilliant. Is, it's good stuff. Well, what do you think? Should we wrap it up? Why not? Um, thank you very much. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. I think this is great. Getting under, what do they say, getting underneath the learning tree and just being able to sit and listen. It's it's super cool. This is why I rushed the intro because I wanted to get yeah, to this. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I've had an absolute blast, and I hope everybody listening has had a blast as well. Uh, Mr. Stone, thank you so much for coming out today. We'd love to have you back sometime. Uh, anytime you want to come back, feel free. Um, we'd love to chat no, with you. No, just wait, because Uh-oh. the other Tom story I want to tell. Oh, okay, so here we is go. There's a false finish from Derek. When a South Milwaukee was promotion, prior to the one that's running there, I was supposed to be running an interview segment in the ring of you versus, I'm not sure, it might have been Hangman, might have been Master Technician, I don't know who it was. But I'm supposed to be the host of this interview segment. And I said, what do you think of that, Mr. Stone? I gestured the microphone toward you, and you snatch the mic out of my hand and start cutting a promo on this guy and just leave me standing in the corner of the ring with my thumb up my ass because I'm supposed to be the interviewer, but I don't have a microphone. I just laughed and said, let's see how this plays out. And how did it play out? 
Uh, they're no longer in business, but you got yourself <laughs> okay. over it. But that wasn't <laughs> your fault, right? I was a part of many promotions failing. <laughs> Don't forget, I worked for Vern, I worked for Kansas City, and I worked for Bill. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. And no. they're all gone. <laughs> Wait, we just had them on our podcast. Oh, jeez. On that note, this has been Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire with our very special guest, Tom Stone. Uh, you can catch us on all the gimmicks and wherever great i no, not iTunes, what am I saying? Where all the great podcasts can be heard. Apple Music, I guess is what it's called nowadays for us old timers. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, thank you very much to the Vanguard for letting us have this very special event held here. World famous Vanguard. Yes, absolutely. And thank you to Eric Arsenal and, of course, the always uh, in attendance Kyle, uh, young Kyle, who didn't do really anything today except stand here and watch us. Um, we'll failed see you guys. to control the plane. Yeah, yeah, he failed to control the traffic in the plane. So on that note, we will see you next time. 